Ideas are everywhere. Welcome to Lessons Learned in Marketing, the Phoenix Group Podcast. I'm your host, David Bellarive, and I'm extra excited today because my guest is Denise Leon, brand expert and author of a couple of my favorite books on brand. But we'll get to that. We'll continue our conversation about brand and rebranding when, why, and how. So let's get on with it. Enjoy this conversation with Denise. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thank you, Denise. Um, and let me just start uh, by welcoming you to the podcast. Denise, it's it's great to meet you virtually. Well, thank you so much. I've been looking forward to our conversation. Denise, I know you as uh, the author of two of, honestly, and I'm not just saying this, two of my favorite books, What Great Brands Do, <laughs> which is uh, all about brand building and uh, fusion, which is all about bringing brand and culture together. Can I, um, can I tell you that two of the things that I love most about your books, one is, uh, and this you might find weird, is your end notes are amazing. There's, it's so great. It's so great to have all that uh, detail itemized. And for those who haven't seen, seen your books, like you carry, you, you source or you share all the sources of all your, um, uh, I, I guess, how you're, you've researched this. So thank you mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad to hear that. You know, one of the things that I pride myself on is doing research and, you know, basing my writing on, you know, facts and, and real resources. So it's, um, it's very gratifying to hear you say that, David. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. And the other thing that I love about your books and not the only thing, but those are the two biggest things is they're <laughs> actionable. Like you actually take pieces and can use them every day. Um, is this, is this how you approach, um, your, when you're, when you're creating a book, is that in your mind as, Oh, I want people to actually be able to use this. Yes, absolutely. And again, thank you for saying that because that is something that I do focus on. I think it comes from my background. You know, I spent 15 plus years in the corporate world as, you know, a, a manager, director, executive, whatever. And then I spent another, um, you know, what now it's 15 years as a consultant. And so I, my natural orientation is to help clients or, you know, at, at, when I was working for companies, help my um, businesses actually implement solutions. And so that's kind of the way that I'm wired. And so I'm glad that that shows up in my writing as well. So thank you for saying that as well. Uh, You're very welcome. And now I'm going to take a cue from you, uh, which is uh, to try to ruthlessly focus because otherwise I will be uh, just talking about branding with you uh, and all over (laughs) the map. (laughs) But I wanted to, to, I really wanted to connect with you and talk about rebranding. Now, mm-hmm. I face this, and I'm sure many people do, and I wonder if you do as well, that often when you counter a brand, uh, whether it's a CMO or a client or a brand itself, uh, they're, they're, the first thing a lot of people say is, well, we need to rebrand. Mm. What comes to mind if uh, someone says to you or, or brings that forward to you, says, how do I rebrand or I need to rebrand? Yeah, yeah. Well, my first question is why, you know, because I really want to understand um, what has brought them to this conclusion. And it's often that they've jumped to an answer that is really not, um, they're, but they're really not asking the right question. And so, you know, part of my job is to help them, um, you know, ask the right question and then answer it for them. 
Um, I think that, you know, the term rebranding can be um, misleading or confusing because I think some people might associate rebranding with a refresh of a visual or verbal identity, you know, so we need a new logo or we need a new name or we need a new tagline or a new look and feel. And um, so, the, and then it may very well be a need, uh, you know, just to kind of put a fresh face and, and a, a new um, a new look to, to the company. Um, but, I, you know, the way that I normally think of rebranding or, you know, rebrand is, is more of a repositioning um, or um, a refresh or rethinking of the brand identity. So it's a more um, foundational and strategic question of really what do we stand for? Um, what is our unique what is the unique value that we're creating? What are our key differentiators? Um, you know, those kinds of, of issues. So, you know, um, I, I really want to understand why people think they need to refresh their brand and in what way they're thinking before we really get into, is this really the right thing for us to do? Is there, um, is there something or questions uh, an organization should look at to figure out whether it's, is it, is this a refresh or are we, really needing to get to our core and reposition ourselves? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you know, I have an assessment tool that people can use to understand the strength of their brand. And um, there are in uh, what I call like external aspects of, of the strength of the brand and then internal aspects of the strength of the brand that the assessment goes through. And the external ones are kind of more about like, you know, how well differentiated are you, is your brand? Um, have your, has your competitive set or the market in which you're competing changed? You know, those kinds of things that I think, um, you know, point, point to the need for strategic change. Also internally, you know, how well understood is your brand among everyone in your organization? You know, is there one common understanding of what your brand stands for and how to interpret and reinforce it? And from this assessment of both, whether you, you have external uh, weakness or external opportunities or internal challenges, you can get a sense for, you know, how, how significant or how serious this the 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 change it you know must be mm -hmm. um and you know really it's kind of more of a continuum i think you called it like a spectrum and i you know i think that really is um you know there there's no black or white it's definitely this or it's definitely that but i think that just understanding the the the, the degree of change that is needed is probably the, the best way to figure out what exactly needs to change about your brand and do you, um, do you approach this with caution at all? Like, um, I know a, a large part of what many people talk about in branding is focus and consistency. And then mm. um, you're hearing, oh, we need to rebrand. Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. You know, um, in fact, uh, I'm kind of notorious for trying to talk people out of rebranding or <laughs> doing what they think is a rebrand. You know, because a lot of times, um, well, to, to your point, I mean, sometimes it's just a lack of consistency or a lack of um, adherence to the established brand strategy. Um, also, sometimes it's more an internal challenge, and that's part of the reason why I wrote the book Fusion, um, because, you know, oftentimes it's more the people within your organization aren't either, they don't, they don't even understand or they don't agree or they don't embrace what your brand, what you want your brand to stand for. And so there's more work you need to do internally in engagement and alignment and integration 
Um, and even if you just do that, everything you're doing externally will become so much stronger and so much more valuable that you might not really need to, you know, quote unquote, change what you, your, your expression of your brand or your communication of your brand. Um, it, you know, so yeah, a lot of times I'm like, well, wait, and before we jump to all of that, let's talk about, you know, internally, are you cultivating a brand led culture? And how is that showing up in all the decisions that you make? So let's talk about, uh, suppose um, a brand needs to rebrand. What does it take to rebrand? Because if I, um, like, like after reading Fusion and thinking about um, what you've talked about, I'm, it's, it's, it makes sense that you can't just all of a sudden have a new purpose. You really need to have that culture within the organization. What does it take to, to, to get there? Do I have to like mm-hmm. get rid of the entire staff and start over? <laughs> well, I do think that, that, you know, usually this kind of work involves some uh, deep and um, widespread soul searching. So, again, depending on the, the degree of change that is needed, um, yes, it is often trying to start with a blank slate. You know, um, I love one of the exercises that I think is attributed to Andy Grove, who was, um, you know, formerly heading Intel, you know, and his one of his exercises was to say, you know, you gather his leadership team and say, pretend like we were all fired today and tomorrow we walked in as a new leadership team to this organization. You know, what is the kind of company that we would build and how would we run it? And um, and I'm paraphrasing, but just this idea of like kind of starting with a blank slate, uh, you know, I think that oftentimes um, what I find is that business leaders are afraid to to let go of the past and oftentimes you need to. So um, it, it, it is at least important to do the exercise of, of looking at your business fresh or trying to look at your business with fresh eyes and examining your customers, examining your competitive context and examining your and your company assets and, and resources and culture and from there, coming up with a, a, a vision and a, a, an understanding of what you want your brand to stand for. And then you can kind of say, okay, well, how do we get there from where we are today? And it might be multiple steps, you know, so you might not, you know, throw everything out and start oh, fresh right away. In fact, I don't really don't recommend that at all. Um, but I think you need to know what that end vision is. And, and usually getting to that end vision starts by taking a fresh look at your business. What are some of the challenges uh, you'll face, not you, but a brand, sorry, will face if they're um, trying to find out what it is they stand for? Um, usually I will say it is um, one of two things. One is, and they're both related. One is um, standing for something, standing for a product or service or something that is more what the company does than why exists or how it does it. So, um, you know, it's like our purpose, I I met with um, some uh, financial advisors last week and I, you know, and I was kind of trying to help them think deeply about their purpose. And I said, so, and you know, they were like, Oh yeah, we know what our purpose is. I said, because what is it? And the guy said, well, you know, we do these kinds of deals. And I was like, no, that's not your purpose. I mean, that's what you do, you know, but it's, it, that, that's not at the 
at the core of what you do. The second um, uh, common problem or, you know, kind of misperception when you're looking at your essence is related to that. And then that is um, standing for something that is very generic and very kind of everyone else in your category would say that or does say that. Yeah. And so, you know, you want your, your, the essence of your brand to be distinguishing something that um, clearly sets you apart and gives people a reason to choose you. People, both customers as well as employees and, you know, all those stakeholders, partners, investors, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, usually I think it's because, uh, and, and I, I think the reason why business leaders tend to kind of gravitate to those, to those two things, either kind of what we do or just kind of generically in our category, you know, what is our role, um, is because they're so focused on the day-to-day operations and running the business. And they need, I think that what my job and, you know, what I hope they will do is kind of be able to step back and kind of take more of a, um, a 30,000 foot view of really what are they doing? Why do they exist? What is the irreplaceable, invaluable role that you play in people's lives? And what would be missing in the world if you, if you didn't exist? And, and that is, that is your purpose and that is your essence. That is kind of what will, what should distinguish you and, and enable you then to create unique value for your customers. And can there be a bridge too far? Like, can you um, say, oh, we want to, we're, yeah, we're this now, but we want to be that. And it's, and um, you would say you, you just can't get there. Is that uh, a possible or is everything achievable? Um, you know, I, I think uh, it depends. Right? Um, <laughs> well, always, yeah. How much you're yeah. How much you're willing to change, you know. Um, I think some people will will want, you know. It's kind of like the. I always say that I want to be uh, tall, skinny, and beautiful. Well, yes. I can't do anything about the small and, and the beautiful part, but the skinny part, you know. If I really, you know, and I'm just kind of, you know, using that phrase flippantly, but I could really work at it. You know, I could really, you know, change my diet, change my fitness regimen. I mean, you know, so if I really wanted to do that, I, I could, you know, but I think a lot of people aren't willing to put in the hard work to make the change, you know, so um, oftentimes people, I find business leaders will have a, a vision that is, is not necessarily too far off, but it's, it's, they're not willing to put in put in the work and to make the hard changes necessary to achieve it. And then like that analogy, are there parts of a business that are DNA that you just can't, like you just won't, that's not going to be you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, I, I, I always, and people always say that particularly in culture, you know, like, well, if your culture is just this way, are you really ever going to change it? And I think that we have been witness to one of the most remarkable culture changes in the last couple of years at Microsoft and what mm-hmm. Satya Nadella has done at, done at that company. I think that if you were, you know, five, even as, as recent as five years ago, we're able to say, you know, that, that Microsoft would be developing a more um, entrepreneurial, um, a more innovative culture, like kind of more um, uh, forward and progressive and collaborative um, I think you know, people will be like, you've got to be kidding. They are so old school and backwards and, or old school and bureaucratic um, and um, set in their ways. But I think that what he, what um, 
Mr. Nadella has shown is that you can really change a culture and you can um, change like the DNA if, again, you're willing to do the hard work. And I think that he has been relentless about his own personal focus on changing the culture, you know, being a role model, communicating about it, um, making the necessary changes in the organization, and then getting the rest of his leadership team on board as well. And so, um, I, you know, I, I would say to those who are skeptical about, can you change something that is so ingrained in your organization? I would say, yeah, you probably can. I mean, you know, again, with some qualifications, but I'm fairly optimistic about that. Yeah, this probably answered my next question, which is how do you drive that transformation from within or, or can you drive it from within? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it really uh, requires the leadership of the organization um, understanding that they are responsible for driving that change and that um, having a clear vision, again, so knowing kind of what the overarching purpose and the core values that you want of the organization and then um, you know, really, it's that's what fusion is all about: is kind of making all of the 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 changes in your organization to achieve that. So, you know, I talk about organizing and operating on brand. So, using your organizational structure, you know, the the roles and the hierarchy and the um, and the standards that you have in your organization, or your operational processes, the way you run your day-to-day meetings, the way that you forecast, the way that you budget and, and plan, all of those things, you know, produce an environment for your desired culture to, to thrive. You know, then you move on to creating culture-changing employee experiences, so examining every step of the employee journey and infusing your desired culture in there. You know, then you uh, the next part is sweating the small stuff, so using your rituals and artifacts and policies and procedures, all of the things that might seem to be small details or like the mundane aspects of organizational life actually can make a big difference to employees. And so if you're very intentional about changing those and aligning them with your desired culture, they can make a big difference. You know, then you move on to igniting your transformation with employee brand engagement, really getting your employees to understand in their heads, um, to feel in their hearts, and then to use in their hands and their feet that you know your brand strategy and and how they bring the brand alive and how they interpret and reinforce and nurture the value of the brand and everything that you do. I mean, those are all deliberate steps that a leader can take and should take if they want to achieve the kind of culture of change that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I really loved um, what you talked about when you talked about artifacts and rituals and, um, you know, things that can really make the brand tangible inside. Can you, can you tell us about or t- talk to me about what, what those things can do, well, what they are and what they can do for a brand internally? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, rituals are like kind of, kind of you know, um, those regular practices you have. Um, for example, at Chevron, the um, oil and energy company, um, safety is a, is a huge value for them, um, you know, more so than even most corporations. So every meeting, they start with a safety moment. And it can be something as simple as, remember to hold the handrails when you walk down the stairs, <laughs> to look how someone avoided a huge explosion at one of our plants, you know. Um, so it, little rituals like that, it can be like uh, your annual picnic. It can be how you celebrate people's birthdays and the anniversaries, you, you know, whatever um, uh, celebrating um, sales achievements or, you know, um, 
hitting key milestones, whatever it is, like rituals, um, things that you do regularly, and then artifacts, um, symbols or tangible elements that you might use um, to reinforce your culture. So, you know, whether it's like having the, uh, the wristbands that Livestrong did that was kind of more of a consumer thing, but I think, you know, companies have used that kind of thing internally or whether it's everyone has um, uh, at one company, uh, I'm sorry, at one university in San Diego, they are very oriented towards StrengthsFinder, the assessment that helps you understand what your core strengths are. And so everyone on their offices in addition to their nameplate and their title, lists their their key strengths, and so that's just kind of like an artifact, a way of reminding people of how important people's strengths are. And so, you know, you have these small, like I said, kind of details of um, of running an organization or how an organization operates that you can actually use to your advantage. I mean, a lot of these things arise. I think maybe organically, you know, like someone does something at a meeting one day and then it just becomes this kind of regular ritual or someone, you know, picks up a souvenir and it becomes the thing that everyone uses to celebrate, you know, a certain milestone or whatever. Um, but, and so those are great, but I think as a leader, you can start thinking about, well, how can I either take those existing rituals and artifacts and kind of align them with the direction of the company or how do I create new ones? Um, that do and so you know it's um, and and how they work I should say um, is involving psychology because you know it's one thing to tell people something is important but it's another to involve them and so by having these rituals and artifacts things that your employees are actually either doing or using on a regular basis it involves them in that change and in that culture that you're you're trying to achieve as opposed to kind of being an observer on the outside they become an active participant in actually driving the change and so that's why they're so powerful I think even using the word artifact and ritual helps because you might be doing these things already, but not necessarily highlighting them in an important way that, you know, re- like, like you say, reinforces the brand and its purpose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I think you need to be explicit. I mean, sometimes you don't, you know, you want to give your employees credit, you know, that they might just get it. Or sometimes, you know, the beauty of, of something is just the simplicity that everyone does something or everyone has something. But occasionally it's important to be explicit and say the reason why we're doing this is because, you know, and then you kind of tie it back to your values. I think that that's one of the things I would say that in general about leadership uh, of culture and culture change is that, um, you know, you need to be very consistent about about talking about your culture and relating everything you do back to your culture and, and connecting the dots. And, you know, you will get tired of talking about this well before your employees will get tired of it. You know, they need to just hear it consistently so that they will believe you that it's important. You know, if you just say it once, it's, it's just going to go in one ear and out the other. But then they also need to hear it from you consistently so that they start really thinking about it and understanding it and then ultimately embracing it and then ultimately, and then even further, um, hopefully then acting and, and becoming a communicator of themselves of the message. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. I wanted to ask you about um, brand types and and uh, talk to you about that. Um, I love the brand types, and and can you tell me a little bit about how that came about? And can a brand move from one brand to or one brand type to another brand type? Would that be a version of rebranding? I guess. 
Yes, yes. So you're referring to in, in Fusion, I um, lay out that there are essentially nine types of brands out there. And that is the conclusion that I have developed from my 25 plus years working on brands. So there are service brands, there are performance brands, there are innovative brands, um, there are luxury brands, etc. You know, there are nine different types. Mm-hmm. Um, now, and as I said, I, I developed that based on my experience working with with organizations on brand building and observing that while each company has a unique brand identity, the way that they compete and kind of what they are trying to, you know, the value they're trying to create in the world often tends to fall into these, one of these nine categories. Um, And the reason why I included it in the book Fusion is because what I've seen is that there's been a lot of effort to, um, type cultures, you know, so is your organization a, you know, friendly culture, or is it a um, performance culture, or is it, you know, or again, is it an innovative culture? Mm -hmm. And what I have observed in my research is that it's a lot harder, I think, to type organizations cultures because they are so different and there's so many different expressions and, and um, the, uh, it, 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 it just seemed to be um, that yes, there might be some foundational values that every organi- that every organization in a, in a particular type might share, but the manifestation of that is so different that it'd be difficult. So, in the book, I say rather than trying to type your culture, identify the type of your brand. And then from there, there are some foundational values that you need as an organization to live out that brand type. And once you make those values unique and really make them your own, then you kind of develop this, this unique brand identity and unique culture. So, you know, an, an example would be like, if you want to be an innovative brand, I mean, you need to encourage a culture of risk taking and experimentation and learning. Um, and, and you need to be very deliberate about cultivating that kind of culture, you know, and this, so what that looks like, at Nike is probably very different from what it looks like at Apple. So, you know, these two brands have very unique brand identities and very unique cultures, but at the end of the day, they're both kind of innovative brands. And so that's kind of the the framework of brand types. And, um, you know, David, I realized in explaining this, I forgot your original question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, is that, is that, um, uh, is that part of rebranding is looking at, okay, so we're right now innovative, but we want to be service focused or the other way around or. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I caution, um, about making too big of a leap from brand type to brand type, you know? So, um, you know, if you were a value brand trying to become a luxury brand, it's probably not realistic. Um, but you know, there are some brand types that are maybe more, more closely related. Like I have, um, a brand that's kind of more about being disruptive and then, uh, I'm sorry, brand type that's about being disruptive and a brand type that's about being innovative. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the difference I would maybe say is like compare a virgin um, group brand to uh, a Nike brand, you know, where Virgin, I think, is is known and, you know, obviously its founder, Richard Branson, is known for being very disruptive, doing things that are really outrageous and kind of um, uh, really intended to shake up the market, shake up the category, shake up the market, challenge the existing leaders in the market, you know, uh, and for a while, I believe that, you know, one of the values of the Virgin Group was 
you know, if there is a seated leader in the marketplace that is not serving customers well, that's the kind of category we want to compete in. So they were always about disrupting. Whereas I think Nike is probably more in the innovative type where they're always, you know, seeking out advanced technology, new materials, new processes, um, trying to um, continuously improve and always up their game. So there's, there are, they're very, to me, they're very different types of brands, but you could probably make the shift between them um, if you really wanted to. So that could be a part of your rebrand is to say, we need to move in this direction. Mm -hmm. But I think inherent in your question, David, is um, that you need to know what's really possible. You know, and if you want to become, let's say, a service brand, but everyone in your organization is very performance oriented, they lack empathy, you don't want to spend money on your customer, or you don't want to spend discretionary money on your customers because you run a very tight ship, then your aspiration to be a service brand is probably unrealistic. And so I wouldn't advise a rebrand in that direction. So um, time flies so fast here. Uh, just to, uh, I guess, wrap up, would you have advice or a lesson you've learned uh, that you'd share about rebranding for different, um, for companies or marketers? Well, I think it goes back to what we started off with first, which is um, that instead of looking to communication and outward expressions of your brand, Look at your culture and the internal operationalization of your brand first. Um, Because um, I think when people say they want to rebrand, it's often easier to change what you say about yourself than to change yourself. But really what you need to do is change yourself. So it's really about the internal work that you need to do in your organization. Fantastic. I, I really thank you for your time, Denise. Do you have um, any, what, what exciting is on your horizon that we can look forward to? Oh, thanks for asking, David. You know, um, right now I'm doing a lot of keynote engagements um, and uh, just helping inspire and empower business leaders to take their brands and their organizations to new heights. And so I love doing that. And, and I have several engagements lined up for the next few weeks. And so I'm, I'm just excited about it and preparing for those. And how can people get a hold of you or find out more? Oh, and thanks for asking that. On my website, niceleyon.com, is pretty much the portal to everything. There you can download the first chapters of my book for free, as well as access other free resources and materials, including like the assessment that we talked about. Um, and then that's also, a, you know, the portal to my newsletter, my blog, and also my social media account, which is where I think that you and I might have originally connected. Um, that's right, yeah. So I yeah, so I really do enjoy connecting with people through social media, um, particularly Twitter and LinkedIn, and um, would love to hear feedback, questions, um, and just engage with, with people like you. So thanks so much, David. Uh, thank you. And uh, yeah, I'd be witness to that. You, uh, we, we connected, I think it was on Twitter, and you responded. It was fantastic. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, Denise. Thank you. Thank you.